Right, we're going to uh, learn a piece from Rav Yosef Eliyahu Hankin, the great New York posek who was uh, the leading posek in New York before Rav Moshe came, and uh, then for many years together with Rav Moshe. Uh, this is one of his most famous piske halacha. There are two famous psakim that he has, uh, one about eating before blowing shofar on Rosh Hashanah. He was very against that. And uh, the second one has to do with marriage in a secular court, or in a non-halachic framework, so a conservative or reform kiddushin, which was done without uh, the proper halachic guidelines. So the issue which became very prevalent in the last hundred years or so was that you had a lot of Jews who for the first time in history were now marrying outside of the framework of halacha. And the question was, do these marriages require a get? Or even worse, if uh, the wife from this marriage uh, goes on and marries someone else afterwards without a get, are the children mamzerim. And these were very serious issues. Uh, they had not really come up before in Jewish history, but the, certainly the Gemara had dealt with similar themes and concepts, and the, based on that, modern-day poskim disputed this issue. So uh, this is known nowadays primarily as a machlokus between Rav Henkin and Rav Moshe Feinstein. Uh, Rav Henkin was very strict. He wrote uh, his first book was called Pirushe Ibra, and it's devoted to essentially a strict reading of all of these cases where something happened and we're not sure if the couple is halachically married. And uh, Rav Henkin's very strict and says that they certainly are. So Rav Moshe wrote back in a tshuva. This is in Igros Moshe and Evan HaEzer, Chelek Aleph, Simen Ayin Dalid. And he quotes Rav Henkin's view. But he says that based on the Gemara, there's a way to read this whole concept, which would be more lenient and allow the couple to divorce without a get. Um, he says that we should try to be strict for Rav Hankin's position, but uh, if we can, or in a case of Mamzerus, if we're really up against the wall, then we can be lenient. So that's in terms of the uh, practical issue. There's a, a wonderful article in the Torah journal Yeshurun in volume 20, which uh, goes through a lot of this information, and uh, he quotes a lot of poskim that weighed in on this, and many that were lenient, so there is certainly room for leniency. But uh, Rav Henkin and many of his farm, and I mentioned Pirushe Ibra, uh, also in his a later book called Lev Ibra, and in his Chuvos called Chuvos Ibra, and he wrote articles in the Torah journal Hapardes about this. Uh, he was very vocal that he believed that in all these cases a get was absolutely required. Uh, a marriage, even outside the framework of halacha was considered a full marriage for halachic purposes. Um, and he wasn't the only one to hold this. The Rogachever certainly held this, and the other great poskim held this, but Rav Henkin did much to publicize it. And so uh, this position is often associated with Rav Henkin's name. Now, this is the second part of our mini-series looking at instances where the conceptual analysis of halacha provides a certain psychological insight. So uh, here, too, we're going to analyze this topic and go through some of Rav Henkin's ideas on it, uh, not only to understand his conceptual halachic discussion, which is certainly important, uh, but also to yield some insights into the nature of marriage and uh, how the halacha and the psychology of marriage uh, intersect in this situation. So let's understand this debate a little bit more on a conceptual level. The uh, debate centers on the issue of how to read a statement in the Talmud that ain Adam osa bi'ilaso bi'ilas znus. The uh, Talmudic assumption in dealing with issues of marriage is that if two people act like they're married, they live together 
as if they are married, so then we have to assume that they want to be married. People do not want to live together in a way which is halachically znus, which is promiscuity, but they want to be married in a way which has kedusha, which is holy, which is a Jewish marriage. So if two people are living together, even if there hadn't been the proper kedushin beforehand and something was wrong in the process, but since they've been living together, we assume that they want to be married. And even though, as we've spoken about in our first part of the mini-series, you have to have witnesses for a marriage, uh, in this case we can all be considered witnesses because we're all watching it and uh, we are transformed into witnesses. So uh, according to the Gemara, that kind of marriage would work. Now the question is in the modern period when you have people who want to be married but they either know nothing about halacha or they couldn't care about halacha. They want to be married in a secular way but they have no interest in being married in a halachic way. So do we look at this situation and say, since they are married, that has halachic validity and the halacha recognizes the secular marriage or the non-halachic marriage as a form of halachic marriage and uh, they are totally considered married under halacha? Or does halacha say that there's a difference? A person can be secularly married, but in the eyes of halacha, it's what we would call zenus. It's promiscuity. It's not a marriage halachically. The secular marriage or the desire to be married secularly does not automatically translate into a halachic marriage. So that's the debate that these poskim are divided over. So Rav Hankin's position, as we mentioned, is that a marriage, even if it's affected in a secular way or outside the framework of halacha, translates into a full halachic marriage. But he adds a lot of color and detail to this analysis and it gives us a lot of insight. Um, this is in Perushe Ibra in Simon Gimel. And uh, there he begins the discussion in financial cases. We have in halacha kinyanim ways to acquire objects in a financial case. So Rav Henkin says that when we talk about kinyanim, it, the essence of a kinyan, of owning something, is that it's in your control, it's in your ownership, it's in your possession. And the fact that you have physical control over something means that you own it. That's the way the halacha views it. But uh, he differentiates here between two different types of kinyanim. You have certain kinyanim that display your possession of something. So let's say someone grabs an object or gives money for it. So those are very natural and objective ways of showing that this is now in your possession. Everyone understands that. He says even children, even uh, animals understand that when you have something in your hands or in your possession in that form, so then it's certainly yours. Uh, He quotes, uh, interestingly enough, the example of a child who's holding something and uh, someone comes and takes it from him. So the kid yells out, it's mine. In other words, the kid, even at a very young age, understands innately that when you're holding something, that shows some sort of ownership over it. So there are ways of doing kinyanim which very naturally show the fact that you own this and you're holding it. And in order to do that type of kinyan, says Rav Henkin, you don't need specific kavana. You don't have to have intent that you're going to be kona this object by picking it up or by uh, paying money. Those are things that work even without specific intention because they're very natural. The very fact that you're engaged in that process automatically means that if you want this thing, it's going to be yours. It's going to become your object now.
On the other hand, Rav Henkin differentiates that there are other types of kinyanim which are not that obvious. They're things which don't show that you own it, but Chazal said that by doing this process, you are now Kona, you now become the owner of this object. And the Chazal ultimately are the ones who decide what type of process creates a Kenyan, even if we don't see that this is something which shows possession. But the Chazal have a much better understanding, and if they say that this is the beginning of the process of the taking ownership, so then of course we would accept that. And the example that he uses is a Kenyan Sudar where you give an unrelated object in order to show that you are acquiring the actual object, which of course does not directly relate to taking into your possession the object you want, but the Chazal said that that would work, says Rav Henkin that even though that works, but it still needs kavana. This is the key difference. It still requires kavana in order to affect that kind of kinyan because it's not natural. It's not as obvious as one of the kinyanim when you actually take possession and therefore you would need to have intentionality, kavana, in order to acquire this object. Now if we apply the themes and concepts that we just saw with regard to kinyanim in monetary cases to Erosin and Nisuin, the process of getting married. So Rav Henkin says that there's a similarity we can compare the case of Erosin, uh, halachic engagement. Uh, it's not the engagement that we do nowadays, which is many months before the wedding. The uh, Erosin in halacha is what we do at the wedding. So uh, when you go to a wedding, they do both Erosin and Nisuin right there. We read the Ksuba in the middle. So with that halachic engagement, says Rav Henkin, is similar to the types of Kinyanim which Chazal saw as the beginning of taking something into one's possession. But it's not natural. You wouldn't inherently look at it and say that's a process of acquiring something by bringing it into your possession. So that's similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar to the process of Erosin when a couple gets engaged in halacha. And we'll explain this in a minute more. But the, the process of Nisuin, though, says Rav Henkin, is similar to the process of Kinyanim, where it becomes very apparent that this object is in your possession. And as we said before, when you acquire something and it's very obviously in your possession, so then under halacha you do not need intentionality in order to acquire it. It's inherent in the process of bringing it into your possession that you do acquire it. So that's the way to understand this dual process of erusin and nisuin, of engagement in marriage in halacha. The first one is the beginning steps of the process by which the couple comes together. And the second one, the nisuin, is when they are married, and that's a real ownership, so to speak. Again, we'll explain all this in a minute. Uh, and therefore, you don't need intentionality. And that's at the basis of his ruling that a couple that got married, even if they intended to be married outside of the halachic system, but the halacha sees this as a full-fledged marriage. Now, Rav Henkin explains these ideas beautifully. And he says, what does this mean when we apply it to marriage? Obviously, a marriage is not an ownership. It's not acquiring an object the way financial transaction is. So what does it mean when we talk about marriage using uh, these terms. So Rav Henkin explains that when we talk about an engagement, so essentially under halacha, what the husband is doing is he's changing the status of this woman who's going to become his wife, 
and he's taking her from someone who halachically was allowed to marry most men, other than uh, the prohibited men, but uh, most men she was allowed to marry. And now through this process of halacha, this ritual of the erusin, so she becomes prohibited to marry anyone else. They're still not fully married. They're not uh, at the point where their connection is complete, but there is some initial relationship which is created fundamentally to prohibit her on everyone else. The uh, Talmud calls it Osra Kuli Alma Kehektish, that uh, the husband takes the wife and makes her as if she's hektish, the sanctified materials to the Beis HaMikdash, which are prohibited to the rest of the world. So uh, this woman too becomes prohibited. So it says Rav Henkin, that's more similar to the first process of Kinyanim that we described before, where the person does not have possession of this object, but they have made an initial step towards taking possession. Again, we're not saying in any way that a husband owns his wife, and that will become clear in one moment in his analysis, but uh, we are saying that the process is similar, that these are both beginning steps towards creating a full relationship. But when it comes to Nisuin, so then says Rav Henkin, that's the point where it's not just that the husband is prohibiting her. It's not about anymore that the husband has to do a ritual and change her status and prohibit her on everybody else, but it's very much that they have a relationship. The reason why she is prohibited to marry another man is because they have this relationship and that relationship between the two of them automatically negates her having a relationship with anyone else. So that's the key difference which occurs between uh, the engagement and the marriage, according to Rav Henkin's reading, in the engagement, he's artificially creating a prohibition on her to marry someone else. But there isn't that full relationship status yet. But when it comes to Nisuin, at the point of marriage, here the relationship transitions and it becomes a full-fledged relationship. They both have responsibilities towards each other and they both are committed to this relationship with each other that automatically she cannot marry anyone else. There is no need to prohibit her from marrying anyone else that's inherent in the special relationship they have of a marriage. And Rav Hankin applies this to a, a drush, Chazal have a drasha. The Navi says, "V'haya bayom hahu." In the future, Neum Hashem, Hashem says, "Tikri li ishi v'lo tikri li od baali." That the Jewish people will call Hashem Ishi, my husband, but you will no longer call me Baali, which is another way of saying husband in Hebrew. In Hebrew, you could say Ishi or Baali. So we have two synonyms. It's like in English, we have, you could say man and wife. That's sort of an older form of the phrase. And the husband and wife. So a man and wife is like Ishi. And the husband and wife is Baali. So uh, the Gemara comments on this that it's kekala bebeis chameha velo kekala bebeis aviha. It's like a wife who lives in her father-in-law's house, meaning she's moved into her husband's house, uh, as opposed to a wife, a bride, who's living in her father's house. So there's two steps in the process. First, they get engaged. Uh, this is in the olden days. Again, nowadays we do it all at the wedding, but in the olden days they would get engaged and the woman would still be living with her parents. So that was what we are like in this world. We're like a kala bebeis aviha. There's a little bit of distance between us and Hashem. He's the husband and we're the wife, but we're the type of wife who lives in our own house, you know, in our parents' house. Whereas in the future, it's going to be Ishi, it's going to be as if we moved into our husband's house, the metaphor being for Hashem, we're going to live in his house and there's going to be more closeness in the relationship. 
Says Rav Henkin that according to his halachic explanation, so now this drasha uh, takes on a lot more meaning, that uh, in this world we're saying that it's as if we're erosin. That's a baal. Baal means, it comes from the root word for owner. So it means that the husband is prohibiting his wife from having a relationship with somebody else, even though there isn't a full relationship. And that's what we call Hashem in this world before Mashiach's times. He's a Baali. He's our husband. But he's the type of husband that comes from Baal. He prohibits us from having relationships with other religions, with other values, other priorities. He insists upon our loyalty, but uh, he forces that upon us. So that's as if we're living in our own house and HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes us be connected with him and follow his rules. But in the future, it's going to be a full Nisuin. It's going to be like Ishi. It's going to be that real relationship where we're totally connected and it's not just that Hashem has to tell us don't pursue other values or other interests, but uh, Hashem is going to be our primary interest. That's going to be our relationship with Him will be so strong. It will be like a marriage that the inherent in it will be this exclusive loyalty and interest in each other. So that's the difference between the word Bali, which connotes a certain amount of ownership. That's the erusin, the engagement, when the husband is still forcing, so to speak, the wife to be connected with him and not with anyone else. But then in the Nisuin, the whole thing transforms and nobody has to force anybody, but they're so connected that inherent in that is this special relationship between the two of them. So this is a very beautiful idea and it's strongly rooted in this halachic analysis and it has a beautiful reading of this Pasuk in Hosea and uh, the Gemara's drasha on that. Now, Rav Henkin goes through a number of other halachas and areas in the Gemara that he explains based on this theory and this setup. Uh, I'll just share one of them with you, uh, which is he asks, why don't we ever find that the chuppah all right, that's how we generally affect the Nisuin nowadays. We do it through a chuppah. Uh, we do a number of different ways of the chuppah. There's obviously what we call the chuppah that we stand under. Uh, but then there's going into the yichud room. And uh, there's other ways that we affect the chuppah. Uh, why don't we have to say anything when we do the chuppah? When you do the kiddushin, which is the erusin, the uh, act of engagement. So uh, most of us do that today by giving a ring. So when we do that, we have to say, we have to say a sentence. Why don't you have to say anything when it comes to chuppah? So Rav Henkin explains based on the above that because the chuppah is modeled on those types of kinyanim where it's very clear what's going on. There is no question. You don't need intentionality. So therefore, you don't need to say anything. The chuppah works Automatically, Nobody needs to clarify what's going on or have intention for it because it's similar to the type of kinyan, a possession, where it's in your domain. You take it into your possession and it's very, very clear that you are taking ownership. So therefore, you don't need to say anything and you don't need to clarify. Whereas in the Kiddushin, which we've said is more similar, the model for it is the types of Kinyanim, which are the beginning of taking ownership of something. So therefore, you do have to clarify what you're doing now. So that's a nice explanation for why those two steps in the process work differently with regard to speaking. And again, this all comes back to his general thesis that even if someone gets married without intention to create a halachic marriage, just the fact of being married and living together and forming this relationship of a marriage is going to automatically create a halachic marriage. And a final point that Rav Henkin makes clear 
is that even though we keep using the terminology and comparing the process of getting married in halacha to uh, ownership and acquisition in monetary cases, which may uh, seem like a strange comparison. So Rav Henkin says that according to his analysis, it's actually precisely the opposite. That it's this very component of marriage, that it's such a strong relationship between the husband and the wife who are committed to their relationship to each other, that precisely points to why it's so different from anything in the financial sphere. And uh, he points out that the one financial relationship which involves people, which is slavery. So uh, in halacha, that means one person owns the other person, but marriage has absolutely nothing to do with that. So uh, sometimes you hear the complaint that when the Gemara talks about the process of marriage, it seems to imply that there's some sort of ownership, that uh, the husband acquires the woman in some way. But uh, says Rav Henkin that that's absolutely not true. His whole analysis points to why that makes absolutely no sense, because Ownership means that one party is acquiring the other party and they now have control over them. But the marriage, the way he's describing it, has nothing to do with the husband having any power or control or stopping the woman from doing anything. There is an element of that in the engagement. Uh, the husband changes her status and transforms her into someone who is committed to being married to him. But uh, once that marriage occurs, so now this is a totally different relationship. It has nothing in common whatsoever with any ownership or acquisition. Uh, the husband and the wife are totally committed to each other. And by committing to each other, that transforms both of them and uh, their very commitment to each other and to this relationship makes it that, of course, uh, they cannot have anything, any relationship with someone else. So again, as we uh, mentioned at the beginning, uh, this is a halachic analysis. It's a lamdisha analysis of what it means to have nisuin in halacha. And there are some very important practical halachic ramifications of this. Uh, very often, great poskim have had to be more lenient in this situation because there are so many difficult cases which come up, uh, which would involve agunas and mamzerim and other terrible consequences. Uh, so some people have uh, had to be more makil than Rav Henkin's position. But the Rav Henkin has a very strong reading of what Nisuin is, both in halacha and psychologically. And it's a beautiful reading of Nisuin, of marriage. And just to tease out some of the psychological implications and insights of this, uh, Rav Henkin is teaching us that uh, a marriage is not a relationship where a spouse has to force their spouse to do something or where one person uses power or other sorts of uh, control in order to get something. That's uh, the very opposite of what nisuin means in halacha. The very definition of nisuin means two people who are committed to each other, to this relationship, to making it a wonderful, complete relationship. And automatically from that flows out all of the responsibilities which are part of the marriage. It's not that uh, someone gets married and therefore they get responsibility because they're married, because they have this status, but it's very much that the act of being married is being so committed and so much a part of this relationship that what they contribute in order to make this marriage successful comes inherently. It just flows very naturally 
out of the fact that they have this close relationship. And uh, that's a really beautiful view of how a marriage works and uh, how a healthy relationship between a husband and a wife works, that then neither one has to demand or point out that uh, this marriage is obligated. If you're getting to that point, it already means that there's a misunderstanding because nisuin in halacha does not involve telling people what they have to do and what this status affects for them. But it really means at its core that two people automatically want to bring happiness and goodness and success to their spouse. And that's inherent to who they are. That's very much a part of their being in this relationship. And it flows out of that in a totally natural way. So Rav Henkin's idea is both a beautiful halachic idea, conceptual analysis of this, and also one with a lot of insight into how marriage works.